Our scripture today is in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called beloved, in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning we're beginning to look through this short book of Jude and really continuing in this theme of trying to get a clearer vision of the gospel. The gospel itself is under attack. It always has been since the very beginning of the church. And it is happening in our day. And the enemy of our souls wants to lure us into deception about what the good news of Jesus is. Wants to pull us away from the tenets of our faith. And so I find that we just keep coming back to this this year as the Lord wants us to check our spiritual vision. Do we have clear eyes to see what the good news is? what the good news of God is. And so this morning, as we start this little book of Jude, we're really asking the question is, what, what defines the true people of God? What's it mean to be the people of God who have received the gospel of Jesus? And how can we ensure that we are part of that people when Christ Jesus returns? the true people of God? How can we know that we're part of this people? And so this morning in just these first four verses of Jude, we see first that Jude introduces himself, and we see something in that about what it means to be part of God's people, because his first identifier of himself is that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. We see this language throughout the New Testament, but it's actually not new to the New Testament. People were identified as servants of God in the Old Testament. And while it is a description of submission under the authority of Jesus, of placing ourselves subservient under him as Lord and Master, the idea of being a bond servant or a slave, it also actually is a title of authority. Because who identified themselves as the Old Testament in the Old Testament as servants of God? People like Moses. People who spoke for God. People through whom God communicated his commands and did great acts and works in this world. And so Judas identifying himself as a servant of Jesus. That's doing a few things in just a short phrase. One, it's making sure that people understand that Jesus is God. He's divine. 
And so in the same way that people could have said they were a servant of God in the Old Testament, now Jude is identifying himself as a servant of Jesus. Now this is also really meaningful when we see how else he introduces himself as a brother of James, because James is the little half-brother of Jesus, and so was Jude. Can you imagine that for just a moment? Jude is the son of Joseph and Mary, growing up in a household where his older half-brother, who is divine and fully human, is growing up in that house, the perfect, sinless son of God. Can you just think about what kind of drama might have taken place in the family as the result of that? Well, Jesus never gets in trouble. Yeah, he never does anything wrong. <laughs> And we know that Jude didn't believe in Jesus. His own brothers didn't when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. It was only after his resurrection that they became convinced. And Jude now is saying, I am a servant of Jesus. And I recognize that my half-brother is God in flesh. He identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. But again, it also is introducing him as a voice of authority. That as one of these divinely appointed servants, he is speaking on behalf of his Lord and his God. And so we now, as readers of what the Holy Spirit wrote through him, need to pay attention. Because he has written with the authority of the Lord himself. And then he identifies his audience, the people of God. And he uses three different words to describe them, and it's where we're going to camp out this morning, in these three words. He says, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Called, beloved, and kept. Friends, if you're part of the people of God, then each of these three words describe who you are. And we want to have a clear understanding of the gospel and what it means to be part of God's people through his son Jesus this morning. So we start with this idea of the call. The first time this word appears in the New Testament, it's on the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. I'm not going to read the parable to you, but this comes at the end of the parable of the wedding feast. Do you remember this parable? How the invitations go out for people to come to this great wedding feast. But the people who were initially invited have too many other agendas of their own, and they're not interested in coming. And so then messengers are sent out to the highways and the byways, out into the bush, to bring people, to invite them to this wedding banquet, that all could be invited. And we have a picture there of God's chosen people, Israel, and how they rejected the invitation in Jesus, and the door was open to the Gentiles, that all people would be invited, they would be called to become part of the people of God. And it seems like just this incredibly inclusive story, and it is, because the love of God, the call of God is incredibly inclusive, but then it comes to a really stark halt when the, the person throwing the party notices that someone who has come into the feast is not wearing the proper wedding clothing, and they're kicked out of the feast. 
And this is where the word called first shows up. In chapter 22, verse 14, when Jesus says, For many are called, but few are chosen. You see, these words called and chosen are very related throughout the Bible, but Jesus draws a distinction between them. Many are called, few are chosen. God's grace has gone out through the cross of Jesus Christ, calling people in to become part of his people. But whether or not they're chosen depends on how they respond to that call. I felt like the Lord asked me this question as I prepared this morning. Do we mistake being called with being chosen? Now it's implied in this letter that Jude is writing that the called here are those who have made their identity in the calling of God, which means they have responded affirmatively to that call and have become the chosen ones of God. But friends, I wonder how many people have heard the call of God, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you. God wants you to go to heaven when you die. And they've had more fuzzy feelings over the fact that they heard the call, but they never actually responded in order to become part of the chosen. Jesus said many are called, but few are chosen. If we look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where we just have been, we see a clarification here, a little bit of more understanding of the moving from being called to being called and chosen. It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, called you what? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is where it gets sticky. Because those who have moved from just being called to being chosen have actually moved from darkness into light. But what do we know about people and human nature in general? Look at John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Friends, Jesus, the light of the world, came into a world of darkness, a world consumed by sin, and he put the call out. My father has a kingdom. It lives in me, and I want that kingdom to live in you. I am the light, and I'm calling you into the light. But simply hearing the call isn't enough. We have to respond and move. From the darkness of our sin, true repentance into the light of his holiness and his goodness. 
That's those who have actually identified as the called rather than those who have simply heard the call. Had a lot of conversations recently with people about the attack on the gospel in our day. And a lot of it is that we we focus so much in the church on the fact that God loves you and friends, he does, and we're going to talk about that. It's one of these three beloved. But if people only hear the call that God loves them and wants them to be part of his people, but they don't make the move from darkness to light, but they're living in the deception that because they heard the gospel call that they're good, they're living in the deception of the enemy that will destroy their soul. Jesus tells the parable that the man is cast out of the feast because he's not wearing the proper clothes. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12. Put on then, you could insert the clothing of, put on these clothes as God's chosen ones. Not just those who have been called, many have been called. But for the few who are chosen, put on the clothes of compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience as a holy and beloved people. Those are the clothes that God's looking for. The evidence that we've actually responded to the call from darkness into light. Hear me, friends. There's so much grace. It's grace. You and I cannot move from darkness into light on our own. It is impossible. We are consumed by the darkness. But Jesus, when he came as that light and he called us, he made a way for us to move from darkness into light. But it doesn't just mean that we sit in the darkness and say, oh, he's called me in grace and I'm good. It's not how it works. Those who respond faithfully to the call put on the holiness of Jesus as his chosen people. And then they become victorious with the Lamb. Look at this picture in Revelation 17, 14. Talking about events at the end in the war against the beast and the nations who have aligned themselves with him. It says, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. I believe there are a lot of people sitting in churches today who have heard a call, but they've never become chosen and faithful. And there is no victory in only hearing the call. Many are called, few are chosen. So what are we called to? Let's look at this a little bit more. Romans 1, 6 to 7. Romans chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's that servant language. What's he call us to? He calls us to make him our master. He calls us into servitude, that we submit our lives under him. Those who identify as the call are no longer their own. But they belong to the Lord Jesus. Verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. 
I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The word saints is the adjective holy turned into a noun. What are we called to be? We're called to be holy people. We're called to be saints who submit to the lordship of Jesus. Look at Romans 8, 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. My call in this life is not about my ambition. Alex mentioned this. How do we discern the difference between the voice of the Spirit and our own desires? Our call is not to listen to our own desires. Our call is to align our lives with the purposes of God. The people of God are called to his purposes. God, what's your purpose for me that you call me to? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints or called to be holy ones together. As the called, we're called to community. And we're called to pursue that holiness that we're to put on, that clothing of holiness, together. We can't dress alone spiritually. We need one another as we put on the clothes of the holy people of God. And Romans 9, 25 to 26. Romans chapter 9, 25 to 26. And this is a quote from the book of Hosea. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. We are called to take on the identity as God's holy people, but not only that, as God's beloved children. Does God love all people? All people. Absolutely. John 3.16, right? God so loved the world. But can I tell you there's a difference in his love for the world and his love for his beloved children? It's different. When I was living as a sinner, apart from God's presence, apart from his infilling, apart from his forgiveness and grace, God loved me, but he did not call me his beloved. That only happened when I responded to the call. And friends, if you have responded to the call and are putting on the garments of holiness, of God's holy people, then he looks at you and calls you beloved son or beloved daughter, and that is who you are. Not what you do for a living, not your financial status, is beloved son or beloved daughter. What incredible grace. 
for us, to keep us clothed so that we're ready for Jesus' return. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because see, this God wants to supply all the power that is needed for you to be kept. You've responded to the call, you've become a beloved child of God through a faith in Jesus that's caused you to be born again into this new family, and now God says, I don't want to lose you from my family. So I'm going to give you all the power and the grace that is needed for you to keep your clothing clean and ready so that when I return, when it's time for that final, final wedding event, you'll be good to go. And you won't have to be one that gets kicked out because they're not wearing the proper clothes. He provides everything that we need to be kept. He is actively protecting us. Look at John 17. This is what Jesus prayed over his followers and over us before he went to the cross. John 17, 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So here he's talking about the 12 disciples. And Jesus is saying, while I've been here with them, I've kept them in your name. I've kept them in your character. I've kept them in your fellowship, all except for one, which is Judas. And now he's asking God to keep them when he is no longer physically here as the walking Jesus in human form. Look ahead at verse 15. I've not asked that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil. So God supplies all the power that's necessary, and Jesus is interceding for us that we would be kept ready as part of the people of God. However, God only keeps us in cooperation with our Lord. We'll go back to the book of Jude. Actually, we'll look at 1 Timothy first. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. 1 Timothy verse, chapter 5, verse 22. God keeps us doing what is right, clothed in holiness, but we have a part to play in keeping ourselves pure and ready for when Christ Jesus returns. Look at uh, chapter 6, verses 13 to 14, there in 1 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God, 
verse 13, and skipping down to verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to keep the commandment. We have to keep ourselves pure. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writing here says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Meaning he had a choice to not keep it. But he has chosen, he has cooperated with the grace that God would give him with that keeping power to keep the faith. All right, now look in Jude, verse 21. Looking ahead. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We have to keep ourselves there. Living in it. Identifying ourselves as beloved. We have to keep ourselves in his love. But then look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. You see, it's both and. In fact, this verse, this verse one of the book of Jude, could be translated two different ways in this kept part. It could be translated kept for Jesus Christ, or some of your translations say kept by Jesus Christ. I think it's one of the times when the Greek is intentionally ambiguous because it's both and. We have to keep ourselves but he will keep us as long as we cooperate. God wants you to be part of his people. He wants you to be ready when Jesus returns. And he will give you all of the power that is necessary to do the right thing, to allow him to change you, to transform you into his likeness. But you have a part to play and you have to cooperate. The gospel is under attack. And one of the ways that it's under attack is telling people that if they just pray a prayer, if they just tick a box, that then they're good to go. They don't have to worry about their salvation anymore after that moment. The people of God are called, they're beloved, and they're kept. They endure to the end. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Friends, I want to be part of the called. I want to be part of the beloved. I want to be part of the kept. Can we embrace those three words? Can we just begin to pray those three words over ourselves? God, when you call me, I want to answer. I want to respond with obedience. God, I want to be identifying myself as your beloved child. That is who I am. And Jesus, will you keep me in your love? Called the beloved. And so then, and we're not even going to look too much at verses 3 and 4. We'll pick it up here next week. But we begin to understand why God tells you to address the people of God with those three terms. Because in his day, the gospel is under attack. And it's specifically the keeping part that's under attack. The people think, well, once, you, once you've heard the call, once you've responded, it doesn't really matter because it's all grace. Do whatever you want. 
But the children of God, the true people of God, are called to contend for the true faith. We'll talk about that this week. This morning, have you heard the call? The call's gone out. The light's come. Jesus wants you to leave behind the darkness of your old life. He wants to completely change you. Enable you to walk in the light of his presence. Do you know that you're the beloved son or daughter of God? Or are you banking on, well, God loves everybody? He wants you to have assurance that you are one of the beloved. Part of his people. Are you doing your part in cooperating with his power to keep you? He wants you. He wants you with him for eternity. He wants you as his people. We gotta respond. Lord Jesus, thank you for the good news. The good news that people who were wrecked by sin can still enter into a relationship with you that will last forever. God, it is incredibly good news. Lord, we want to know that we're believing the actual biblical gospel. We want to know that we're part of your people. We want to know that we're ready. Whether you would call us home or you return. Lord, show us what it means to truly repent and step into the light. God, teach us who you've created us to be as beloved children. To know your love in a way that we've never experienced it. And God, keep us. And teach us what it means to cooperate with your keeping power. It's in Jesus' name.